This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran. With me, Laura Curran. Let's bring in Laura Curran, a member of the Democratic Party. Joining us now by phone, Laura Curran. Laura, good morning. Now, here's your host, Laura Curran. Hello, I am Laura Curran, and this is Cut to the Chase, where we delve into politics, media, culture, and current events. Real conversations about real issues that affect our lives, no matter where we are on the political spectrum. All right, let's get right to it. Hello, everyone. So everyone I talk to these days seems kind of annoyed slash upset slash fed up with our two parties, Republican and Democrat here in New York. Either they think the extremists have taken over both and common sense is getting lost, or they're kind of more a la carte. Maybe they feel one way about abortion, but another way about free speech or whatever it may be. So if you're feeling like this, you're not alone. And in fact, you may be interested to hear from my guest today, Timothy Dunn. He is executive director of the nonprofit, nonpartisan political reform organization called Unite New York. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on with you and looking forward to our discussion. So, Tim, you have for about two decades been a strategist for politicians, for businesses, for entrepreneurs. You worked in the Pataki administration and also for the state Senate. So you understand how the sausage is made here in New York. What has inspired you to take the helm of Unite New York? Why do you think it's so important now? Well, I used to joke that I worked in government and politics and I was paroled for good behavior. But, <laughs> you know, several years ago, our founder, Martin Babnick, reached out to me and said, we need to fix this broken system. And, you know, I think really one of the one of the fulcrum points for us was what we saw on January 6th. And, you know, not to get into, you know, how you, you there's plenty of opinions on January 6th and what transpired on that day. But we came out of that and said, my goodness, we are so divided as a nation and and there's so much of us versus them and, you know, kind of the opposite of what we saw post 9-11, where we all united as, as New Yorkers. And, and that really was a, a seminal moment for us where we said we need to do something about the fundamental fissures in our system, the fundamental breaks in our system where it has allowed so many voices to feel like they don't have a place and and too few people to be making the decisions, really empowering the extremes in the two parties and, and making it harder for people to participate in the system and feel like their voice is heard. So, so that really compelled us to jump in with both feet and say, we need to really aggressively approach this problem and, and come up with some real solutions for it. Now, we find in New York, more and more people are registering as independent. So uh, Democratic enrollment in our very blue state is about 50 percent of all voters mm -hmm. are Democrats. Independents, though, are about 23 percent, more than Republicans, which is about 22 percent. And then your smaller parties like Working Families Party and the Conservative Party are at about 5 percent. So as we see, there is a desire for people to perhaps not identify so much with one party or another. And it's growing. 
That's absolutely true. With the updated numbers in November, and I'm not sure if these align directly with the percentages that you just shared, but we looked at and we saw there are about 3 million New Yorkers that chose not to be affiliated with a party. That's more voters than are in the Republican, conservative, and working families parties combined. That's an enormous number. That is a number of voters that can decide elections. And as we just saw in this last statewide election, it was decided by 300,000 votes, the, the closest we've seen in a long time. But what's troubling is those 3 million voters on election day, 2 million of them stayed home. Hmm. Uh, For example, had Lee Zeldin been able to energize just a quarter of those voters that stayed at home and get them to the polls and vote for him, he would have been elected governor. So that's a significant block of voters. Now, do you think this is something particular to New York? We have had a parade of scandals of elected officials of both parties being carted away in handcuffs. There was a time when you had a better chance of being indicted than being voted out of your legislative seat. Do you think that people in New York are just kind of fed up more more than perhaps other places in the country with how politics is going? I think there's an extreme amount of frustration in New York state. But what we found is is we actually have policies in the state that cause that frustration that, that make it worse. For example, New York state is one of only nine states with a completely closed primary process. That means in 41 other states, there's an ability for independent voters to have their voices heard during primaries. In New York state, that's not the case. Those so by closed, you mean if it's, if it's Democrats running, only Democrats can vote and same for Republicans. That's correct. So, so in, in this last election, we had a primary where there was four Republican candidates vying for governor and, and three Democratic candidates. But because, you know, perhaps it's frustration within the voter base, perhaps it's frustration of independent voters, but only about 15 percent of eligible voters participated in those primaries. And that's a shocking number. And you think about how few people put those candidates on the ballot. You can understand why voters get frustrated. For only the second time in New York state history, we had only two choices for governor last year. And then, you know, we wonder why people don't come out and vote. We've got to give them more choices and give them, compel them to, to, to want to come out and vote, give them reasons, give them things to vote for, not just things to vote against. So Unite New York has some very specific policies that you guys are pushing, one of which is open primaries. And I want to talk about these quickly and then a little bit more in depth. But one is to make it easier to get on the ballot. It's very difficult. And I think it's been kept that way on purpose to get on the ballot in the first place. You advocate term limits and two thirds of the people polled agree that term limits are a good idea. It gets rid of a lot of the corruption You also advocate campaign finance reforms and having initiatives and referendums, or is it referenda, like California has, where there's more direct democracy on particular issues and ranked choice voting. But before we get into the nitty gritty on these issues, Unite New York made a decision recently to no longer endorse specific candidates and instead to push these policy changes. Why the change from endorsing particular candidates who come to you and say, hey, I can, you know, attract everyone. I'm a common sense person. Back me. Great question. And there were two really big, compelling reasons for it. First and foremost was the way the system is structured and the regulatory environment around backing candidates makes it challenging. But more so, as soon as you endorse a candidate, you're put in a partisan box. And we were trying to be intentionally nonpartisan. Yeah. And, and, and by endorsing anybody, you're automatically put in that partisan box. But the more important issue and really the thing that caused the big decision for us was 
we found that voters were much more interested in the issues than they were the personalities. And, and we saw compelling evidence from our polling through the Voter Empowerment Index, but also through the issues ads that we ran in the last cycle, we saw a stark difference in the engagement level from voters on issues than on candidates. And, and I'll just give mm. you one quick example of that. We ran a slew of digital ads last year, some in support of candidates, some focused on issues. Industry average click-through rate for digital ads in the political space is about 0.08%. Wow. Our candidate ads performed at about a 0.12% click-through rate, so a little bit better than industry average. Our issues ads were performing at 0.20 click-through rate, so nearly, nearly triple the industry average. Voters are engaged and care about issues, and, and that's where we really wanted to shift our focus. And we said, okay, if this is what voters care about, let's give them the red meat. Let's focus on those issues, and let's make sure that we're, we're advocating for those issues. Yeah, I think there is a sense, at least from people that I talk to, that politics doesn't really speak to them in a way that they can hear it, that makes sense to them, that's relevant to their lives. There's a lot of drama. There's a lot of theater. There's a lot of BS. And most people are not, I mean, I don't know, maybe there's some tension there because it seems to be what gets the attention on the news. That seems to get yeah. more clicks on the news side of things. So maybe everyone thinks that that's what people actually like. But when you talk to real people, that doesn't seem to be the case. That's absolutely true. And by freeing ourselves of the candidate bubble, what we've been able to do as well is we're now really putting our money where our mouth is. And we're, we're now investing in legislative change. We're putting resources behind identifying, tracking, and supporting legislation that matters to New Yorkers on these issues like term limits and open primaries and ranked choice voting and, and initiative and referendum and, and really importantly, ballot access. We think ultimately if we can put New York in a position where there are more voices heard and there are more choices for our voters, that ultimately we're going to have better outcomes. You know, I'm curious. It's hard to push issues to get done just, you know, because it is. So I'm curious to know the mechanics of your advocacy. How do you raise money, first of all, and then how do you get the attention of the policy makers to make these changes? So very good question. So we are a 501c4. So mm -hmm. we're a nonprofit organization and we solicit donations from, you know, from individuals, from organizations. But as part of our change from a, a candidate-focused organization to our new strategy in 2023 is we're actually shifting into a member organization where average New Yorkers can join Unite New York. We're going to have a commerce function available very, very shortly where average New Yorkers can go on our website, join, put their money where their mouth is and say, I want to be a part of this. I want to advocate and change for and seek these reforms that are so important. But then as I alluded to, we've taken the next step and have now retained a lobbyist in Albany and are working on advancing these reforms. We and are you getting traction? Are, are you getting traction up there? We are. Yeah. So we just did an event in Albany on Tuesday night. And, you know, we did it in a place where we knew there were going to be some legislators coming and going. We invited some of those legislators. And, and, and without naming names, we had an assembly member come in who we have a great relationship with. And we, we really like some of her some of her bills on, on term limits. And as we were talking with her about some of those that legislation, one of her colleagues happened upon us and joined in the conversation. And by the end of the conversation, he said, you know what? I really like what I'm hearing. Hmm. Can you put me on as a co-sponsor for that legislation? Wow. So by getting into those into those settings and, and making sure that we're investing in a smart way and we're working within the system, if we're going to change the system, unfortunately, we've got to work within the system. 
and that's our approach right now, and, and, and we're, we're working hard at it. And, and frankly, what we need is we need more people to, to join in the fight and, and to go to our website and, and join up with our efforts and, and contact their legislators and say, these are the changes that we want to see. Now, I've got to think that has to be a big marketing push and a lot of resources and focus on marketing just to break through all of the clutter. Yes. Yeah. You know, and that's why we try to really simplify our messaging. We really start with the premise that we think democracy is good. And so if, if you kind of, it's, it's difficult to disagree with that statement, right? right? It's a democracy great premise. Um, so we, but we think if democracy is good, then more democracy is better. Yeah. And so we take that simplified message and, and, and go out to our legislators and say, these are ways where we think we can get more voters paying attention and involved and involved in the process and making for, for better outcomes. And certainly legislators want more voters supporting them. And if they're supporting the right issues, then they're going to support those, those legislators. So we want to simplify our message. We're, we've got folks directly in the halls of the Capitol working on our behalf. But we're also doing this sort of outreach and saying, hey, here's why you should care and, and get engaged. The other thing that we're going to be digging into, and, and there's going to be an announcement about this in just a few weeks, is our new voter empowerment index. The way we were able to cut through a lot of the noise last year, we rolled out this tracking poll, the Voter Empowerment Index, that looked at a lot of these issues of reform. And we dug in and said, what do New Yorkers feel about this? What are their feelings? What do they think? And when you give hard data, the media pays attention awfully quickly. Yes. And, and the poll is a great way to get press. And, and we're going to be doing that again. We're going to have our first one of the year is going to be coming out April 18th. Mm -hmm. So it'll be, you know, really just post-budget, start of the policymaking component of, of session. And I've got the numbers in front of me here. And, and I got to tell you, there are going to be some, some numbers that really make people sit up and take notice. In areas where we, where we think we do well, we're not in a great place. Folks want to talk about New York being the progressive capital of the world. Our data shows that only about 9% of New Yorkers think that New York is ahead of the curve when it comes to election reform and, and engaging and getting more folks involved. That's a pretty scary wow. number. Only 9% of New Yorkers feel that we're, we're in the right place there. You know, it's so interesting when you talk to real people <laughs> about what they think. It really doesn't <laughs> go with the narrative. Yeah. So one of your initiatives, which is quite popular, about 60% say they want this, according to a poll, making it easier to get on the ballot. So it is a burdensome ballot to get the access is quite burdensome. There was the legislation in 2019 keeping minor parties off the ballot. Now, I will say this. As a former elected official, as a Democrat, I didn't hate this because, hey, it would make it easier for me to get reelected if I didn't have a bunch of other people running or if I didn't sure. have someone on working families pulling away from Democrats or whatever it may be. So selfishly, I might not be for this. So this is right. an example of you engaging with legislators who may say, hey, this isn't going to help me. I don't want to go anywhere near this. Or you'll have party bosses saying, what the heck are you doing? We've we've got this how we need it. Don't mess with it. How do you break that? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. 
Well, I tell you, party bosses don't want to see anything change for sure. And, you know, that is an uphill battle. But when we look at ballot access in New York State, and you referenced the law that was changed. Now, for many, many years, to get on the ballot for governor, which is how you establish a ballot access, you had to get 15,000 signatures gathered during the petitioning cycle, which is we're, we're in the midst of the major party it. petitions right now. You had to go out and gather 15,000 signatures across the state. You had to get 100 from each of half of the congressional districts, and, and they had to be registered voters and couldn't have signed other petitions. And then after that, that candidate, once they were on the ballot, had to get 50,000 votes in the general election. Now, in 2020, Governor Cuomo, under you know the guise of COVID, in an emergency legislation that was passed in the middle of the night, changed that to triple the threshold to 45,000 signatures. And then once, if you were even able to reach that, you have to then get 3% of the vote, which is about 150,000 votes. Now, we certainly want to make sure that folks that are getting on the ballot can be verified and actually show support that they should be on the ballot. So you don't have a clown show. But the reality is this past year, seven different organizations attempted to get signatures to get a candidate on the ballot for governor. Hundreds of thousands of New Yorkers signed petitions. Millions of dollars were spent to try to reach that threshold. That threshold, I will go on the record as saying, is impossible to reach. Hmm. Seven different organizations attempted to get 45,000 signatures. You're only given 42 days to do it. That's more than 1,000 signatures a day. Mm. We spent north of $600,000 in our effort, and we were only able to get about 29,000 signatures. Wow. Here's the real kicker. Not a single organization was able to meet that 45,000 signature threshold. And so as a result, there were only two candidates on the ballot, as I mentioned earlier, only the second time in New York state history, it was just two candidates on the ballot for governor. Do you know how many qualified signatures those two candidates submitted to get on the ballot? How many? Zero. Really? They were designated by their parties to get on the ballot. They were the designated nominee of their parties. So they didn't have to gather a single signature. Did they have to gather them for the primaries? No, because they both got more than 50% in their convention. So they didn't have to gather petitions. The others that were in the primary did. Harry Wilson and uh, Tom Swazi and Jamani Williams and mm. Andrew Giuliani and, and Rob Astrino, all those folks had to go out and do that, that heavy lift of getting the signatures. But even in that regard, they only had to get 15,000 signatures to qualify for the party primary. Mm. So the state of New York is telling voters, and, and you wonder why voters are frustrated. The state of New York is telling voters, your voice doesn't matter. I don't care How many hundreds of thousands of you say we want a choice other than Lee Zeldin or Kathy Hochul? I don't care how many of you go out and sign these petitions and say we'd like another choice. Your voice doesn't matter. And And how many how many voters stayed home in this past election in 2022? So independent voters, two million of the three million stayed home. Wow. In New York City, in New York City, 55 percent of the voters chose not to come out and vote. Wow. I believe in Brooklyn, that number was as high as two-thirds of the voters stayed home. I mean, clearly, this is not voters excited about the choices that they see in front of them. So then Uh, how do you make the case? I guess you could say this is what the public wants. Making the case to these politicians who may be seeing as, as this legislation is against their own interests, that's the hurdle that you have at Unite New York, I would think. Yeah. And, you know, call me a bit of a Pollyanna. I'm probably more of a Pollyanna than people that have worked in politics a long time. And and for someone who's done it a long time, I'm I'm still a a bit of a a Pollyanna. But 
Um, you know, ultimately, I think deep down inside, folks that run for office and are, are state policymakers, deep down inside, they do it for a reason because they're trying to do something better for our community. They're trying to make our state a better place. And I think there is that in the heart, no matter if, even if it's something that works against their self-interest, they've got to know that giving our voters more choice giving them more opportunities to be involved in the process is a good thing. That's why they got involved in this, because they wanted their voice to be heard. And, and we believe in democracy. Right. So that, I think that's a big piece of it. But also, if you look at the flip side of it, Laura, you know, there is probably nothing more uh, other than a, renaming a bridge. There's probably nothing more Cuomo-esque than changing the rules of the system to try to limit participation from your quote unquote opponents. And, you know, I may have some folks that get angry with me for saying that, but I mean, there wasn't a really great legacy left by our former governor on, on some of these issues. And I think this would be a great opportunity for our legislators to reject the, a pretty significant impact systemically around our, our democracy that, that the former governor put in place. You also are advocating for ranked choice voting. Now, this we were I would live in the suburbs, so I was watching the New York City mayoral primary in 2021, and it seemed confusing. It seemed messy, but maybe because it was new and anything new is confusing and messy. But I see the logic that mm -hmm. if you are in a safe seat for your party and let's talk about you talked about Brooklyn, you're in a safe seat in a very Democratic district. You're going to get reelected with a very small percentage of the vote. You're going to get a big amount of that small vote, but very few people are actually voting. So I think I've misstated that. You're going to get elected with a big percentage <laughs> of a very small vote. That's what I mean to say. Right. So that, I would think, leads to apathy. It leads to people thinking, why bother? It leads to complacency in the politician. They don't really mm -hmm. have to prove themselves. They're not, they don't have the same kind of level of accountability. How would ranked choice voting solve that? It's a great question, but I want to start with, with sort of your, your premise where you started about the New York City primary, yeah. because that was a lot of the, the rhetoric from those already in office and those on the bureaucratic side was this is too confusing. Yeah. Voters aren't going to understand it. Look, first of all, New Yorkers are smart. You know, like you're not pulling one over on a New Yorker. So right? true. This isn't so con like. How confusing is – you ask the average New Yorker, they're going to be able to explain how the Heisman Trophy voting works a little bit easier than, <laughs> than how the how – like, they get it. They're smart. But the reality is we actually pulled this during – right after the election, and we found that two-thirds of New Yorkers, New York City voters, found ranked choice voting to be simple to understand, easy to understand. They liked the system. They, they actually thought it was a good thing. And more importantly, outside of polling, we look at hard numbers – the Democratic primary for mayor saw an increase in turnout of over 135,000 new voters wow. participating with ranked choice voting wow. than in the prior open primary, the, the prior primary for an open seat. So we think that's a pretty good thing. So there's proof in the pudding right there that you are bringing more people to the polls. But more importantly, what ranked choice voting does is it eliminates the spoiler effect. For, we've seen it on both the right and the left. Well, you know, Jill Stein can't run for president because she's going to hand the presidency to, to Donald Trump or, you know, Ross Perot. Don't vote for him because he's going to hand the election to Bill Clinton. Right. Um, you've seen so much of that. And it's an easy way for the two parties to say, let's eliminate competition and make this a one on one battle. And I certainly understand that from a self-interest standpoint. But when you look at it from a voter standpoint, 
with our traditional system of voting, you get one vote, mm-hmm. right? You can vote for, for the most part, you can vote for the Republican or the Democrat, and that's it. There's not and a lot, lot of, of people feel it's the it's, they're picking the lesser of two evils, people I talk to. Uh, I, I, that's not the first time I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> but with ranked choice voting, what you're able to do is you take a look at the candidates on the ballot, and hopefully there are more than two, and now you're able to rank those candidates in order of your preference. So let's say there are four candidates on the ballot, and one of the four you absolutely can't stand. One candidate you love, and the other two you could tolerate. Mm -hmm. So now you rank those candidates, one, two, three, leave off the guy or woman that you don't like, right? And when the votes are tabulated, as long as no one's gotten more than 50% of the vote, you go to an automatic runoff, an instant runoff. Now, if someone gets more than 50% of the vote, it's over, right? That popular incumbent that you've just referenced. If they get 50% of the vote, it's done. They won, right? Congratulations. They got, over. they got the majority. But if there isn't a majority, you go to an instant runoff whereby the lowest vote getter is eliminated. And then based on how votes are ranked from there, you recalibrate and do an instant runoff of the voting. And this is done instantaneously through machines. The only thing that actually holds it up and held it up in New York was the fact that we had to wait a week for the absentee ballots to arrive. Um, that's the only thing that slowed it down. Um, but otherwise, you get an instant readout rather than like in in uh, Georgia where you have to go back, you know, a month and a half, two months later and redo the election. And incidentally, Georgia is actually the secretary of state in Georgia is actually seeking authorization to change their system to ranked choice voting for that very reason. Hmm. So it, it empowers voters. It gives them more of a voice. It makes their vote matter more. And you know, one of the criticism I, criticisms I hear is that, oh, ranked choice voting is going to be a tool for the Republicans or ranked choice voting is going to be a tool for the Democrats or it, it favors one party over the, over the other. And there's no better example of how that's not true than in the state of Alaska. Oh, tell Alaska, me about that. Alaska uses ranked choice voting for all their statewide elections. And they just had one last year in 2022. Now, Alaska, that's right. That's right. no one would be surprised to learn that the voters of Alaska are right of center, Mm -hmm. but also fiercely independent. Mm -hmm. So you'd think that if that's the case, they would vote for just one type of candidate. Now, in in 2022, a statewide election was held for three different offices, the same voters in the same election for three different statewide offices, for Congress, because they only have the, the one member of Congress, for the United States Senate, and then for governor. Those are the big three. Yeah. And in those in those same voters in the same election using ranked choice voting elected a conservative Republican governor, a moderate Republican senator and a Democratic Congress member. Hmm. So they voted for the candidate, not yeah. the party. Yeah. Right. And that's I mean, think about how empowering that is as a voter. You know, and you're not told what to do. Also, you're talking as a former politician. I can't tell you how many people when I first ran were like, you know what? I look at the person, not the party. It's all about the person, not the party. But things have gotten so divided in the country and in our political rhetoric that people are like, ah, you know what? I like you, but you're with those people. I can't vote for you. Sorry. And I hear that on both sides. Or you're with the party of Trump or you're with the party of the progressives or therefore whoever you are is completely devalued because you're just lumped in with them now. This would take that away. Yep, absolutely. 100%. It's going to minimize the power of party bosses. It's going to maximize the power of voters. And it eliminates the spoiler effect. And most importantly, to your point, it then allows, enables, and encourages candidates 
to campaign to all voters, not just talk to their little corner of the room, right. the extreme element of their party. The quote say, unquote base. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and imagine that concept that we're just going to campaign to all voters. So real quick, because we're almost out of time, I want to talk about the whole idea of referendum for just a minute. Sixty-one percent of people want this. California has them, you know, proposition this, proposition that. The funny irony of this is that, yes, it needs to pass both houses in Albany, but then it goes to a public referendum itself. (laughs) (laughs) Is it democracy grand? I love it. Well, the, the, the even bigger thing here is, you know, about half half the states in the U.S. have initiative and referendum. And, and again, New that York. Many. Wow. I think people would be surprised York, to know that. Yeah. You know, we have a little bit of Stockholm syndrome in New York. We think that we're very progressive. We're not. And like I said, the, our polling shows that. But you look at th- examples like this in open primaries where we lag behind the rest of the nation. But here's the big thing. And Laura, you were a, lo- a local elected official. You ran a pretty sizable local government. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, how many decisions at the local level? are passed subject to permissive referendum. One of the knocks against initiative and referendum is that, oh, well, you know, if you allow this, then everything is going to have to get put up for a, for a vote. That's just simply not true. I mean, we, as a local public elected official, I mean, how many times did matters go to a referendum? Um, it, it, it will happen when there's a really big issue that people are really, really concerned about. And honestly, isn't that a good thing? I mean, don't we think democracy is a good thing? Give the voters a chance to speak. Then maybe you would see things like term limits enacted, where we've got huge majorities supporting it, or uh, ranked choice voting enabled, where we have a more than a majority supporting it. And these initiatives that would finally return power to the hands of the people and not party bosses. So we got a lot of work to do. We know it's not going to be easy. But let me tell you something, nothing worth doing is easy. Amen to that. Nothing worth doing is easy. And we have 40 percent of New Yorkers considering leaving the state. So maybe we need to rethink how we do things. Timothy Dunn. Ex- with their feet. <laughs> say, yes, exactly. We don't want that. Timothy Dunn, executive director of Unite New York. It's a nonprofit, nonpartisan political reform organization. Go to their website. Check them out if you're intrigued by what you hear. Tim, thanks for your time. Thank you. www.uniteny.org. Thank you so much, Laura. Good plug. All right. Take care. If you like what you hear on Cut to the Chase, please like it, subscribe, share, listen to the radio show on Sundays at 4 p.m. at WABC. And thanks for checking in. And now we're checking out. Take care.